Hey, how's it going? I hope things are going well for you. I'm here at the top of the episode to share a few thoughts with you. First and foremost, thank you so much for listening. It brings me great joy to create this podcast and it warms my heart to know that there are people out there that enjoy it. Thank you. The reason why I created this podcast was to help break those patterns of behavior. I was hoping to help someone else who was stuck like I was. I was hoping to help someone else who felt lonely like I did. And I was really hoping that I could use this platform to show complete authenticity so that I can connect with other people and show people that it's not a big deal. It's okay to be you. With that said, I have been censoring myself. Some of the words that I normally say in the daily life, those four letter words, I haven't said them much here because I've been trying not to. And it sounds strange when I fumble and I, I try to think of another word instead of any other four letter word I have out there. But I'm gonna stop doing that because when I bring guests on, they are being their authentic self. And of course, I would expect no less. So when my guests come on, they may share some things that are deep and sometimes dark, very personal things. So from time to time, you are going to hear a trigger warning. Like, for example, today in this episode, I want to warn you that there is talk of suicide. And if you might find that disturbing, I encourage you to skip past this episode. And if you or a loved one or someone you know is struggling with suicide, please call or text the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. The number is one 800 273-8255. All that information, of course, will be in the show notes. So yeah, if my guests are going to be authentic and I'm all about authenticity, then fuck, I got to be me. Are you ready? Let's go. Hey, what's going on? My name's Lee Hopkins. My pronouns are he, him, his, and I'm here again with another great interview for you. Now, this next guest is someone who I'm really interested in getting to learning more about because they do a fantastic art art form. I'm going to call it art form because it's, I think, the what we do as uh, people who help others, like coaches, they're forms of artwork. So with that said, I'm going to let him introduce himself. Doug, please tell us who you are and what you do. Absolutely. My name is Doug Sands. My pronouns are he, him, and his, and I am a hypnotist. I call myself the Meaningful Life Hypnotist because I help people all around the world really dive into what it is they're called to do. I work a lot with anxiety relief and other forms of motivation, and so uh my big thing is that I work with people completely online. And that's, uh, I call my business Anywhere Hypnosis because I work with people from Toronto, from Florida, from 
the Australian islands. And so it's been quite an adventure getting here. Wow. Meaningful life. Uh, what was that again? The Meaningful Life Hypnotist. Meaningful Life Hypnotist. See, that has uh, quite a ring to it. So tell me, how did you come up with that? Finding meaning has always been really central in my life. It's always been something that I was driven to do. I <laughs> I was that college kid who was literally Googling, uh, how do I find my life's purpose? And Google didn't have the answer for me. I eventually, through a lot of adventuring and <laughs> through a lot of uh, trial and error, essentially, discovered my own life purpose. And I realized that it's, one, it's something that we all create for ourselves. Uh, it's something that we have to make. It's not something that's going to be handed whole cloth to us. But two, it's something that evolves all the time. I feel like my life purpose of a year ago is much different than my life purpose of today. Wow, that is really deep, man. So, and of course, you wouldn't find that on Google. I mean, <laughs> it's it's something that's always going to be changing, and it's really unique to yourself. Mm-hmm. So, you said that you had some adventures in discovering this. So, what were some of those adventures that kept you, um, I don't know, enlightened you a bit? Yeah. So, before the adventures, I was living in in the Midwest. Uh, I went to school in Iowa at the University of Iowa, and it just wasn't a good fit for me. I wanted to have a more adventurous life. And so I moved across the the country to the East Coast, and I climbed a mountain for the first time. And it was there that I really started to question what it was that I was supposed to do. I'd been questioning it all the time in the Midwest, but I thought, you know, as soon as I go out on these adventures, it's just going to come to me. Well, that didn't really happen. And so there was this really pivotal turning point for me personally, where I was on a hike in the middle of January in New Hampshire. It gets very cold up there. I got lost in a blizzard, and it was as close as I'd ever come to freezing to death. And that moment is a really big watermark in my life. It was that moment I started taking ownership of my own mental health. And through that, I found meditation and eventually hypnosis. And it was a roundabout way to finding my own purpose because now a huge part of my purpose is through helping others overcome that same struggle that so defined those early years of my life, whether it's that struggle for purpose or it's uh, anxiety or depression, whatever it is that limits them in that way. All right. So you basically had this, uh, as some people would describe it as a come to Jesus moment (laughs) where you were just, you were you were just really unsure and questioning and thinking about well, this is this could be the last few moments that I have in my life. Mm-hmm. What have I accomplished or what what can I do if I get out of this? What do I want to change? Is that what happened? That's exactly what happened. Hmm. Yeah. So then, you, I like to step back and and look more at uh, before your adventures. So you said that you were going to take more care of your mental health. And you were talk, you talked about anxiety and helping others. And I know that for me, I like to help the person that my ideal uh, person to help would be that person who I was 10, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that is the same experience that you've had. Have you struggled with anxiety and uh, general maybe depression? Because they run together. They kind of come yeah, together. Absolutely. I definitely agree with that, with helping someone who is like your past self. I was diagnosed with depression in high school, and it played a very pivotal part in my own journey. 
my mother actually took her own life. And I never knew that because my family was, we grew up in rural Wisconsin and we didn't really talk about it. We didn't have the rhetoric to talk about it. And so I come from that background of the heavily stigmatized mental health journey. And so my goal with that is to give them alternative tools rather than, um, well, in addition to, I should say, medication and therapy, tools that they can use to take ownership and actually be a part of their their growth and their change. Wow. Um, that was pretty deep. I'm sorry for your, your loss. I mean, that experience, I have no idea what that feels like, but it is even worse, I imagine, if we're not talking about it, mm. pretending that it doesn't exist. That's like, um, that's maddening. Like your experience is not real. Essentially, mm -hmm. you need someone to validate that and to kind of help you deal with it. Because now when you want to talk about it, or if you, if you did want to talk about it, you wouldn't have anyone and you wouldn't have the language to talk about it. And it sounds like, well, that's not going to happen for people that encounter you. They are <laughs> going to get the language and the information they need to to put words to what they're experiencing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, that heavy stigmatization of, uh, of healthcare, mental health, is something that I feel is disappearing because more and more people are popping up where they're, they're okay with mm -hmm. expressing what's going on inside of them. So I imagine since your family has not talked about much, are you able to open up to them and share more with them? Are they on the bandwagon with you? It's been a slow process getting my family on the bandwagon. They're, <laughs> they're still kind of set in their ways, but I think that when they see me having dealt with these issues and having overcome them and now being more open about them and they see how it's working for me and how I'm able to work through those problems, some of my family members have come to me and they said, you know, I, I've been struggling with this for, for years and I didn't really have the courage to step up and say this. So I, I thank you for actually having that courage and actually talking about it and bringing it out in the open. Yes, that's what you're striving for too, right? Absolutely. And it's, yeah. it's so amazing when, of course, you can help a stranger, but when you get closer to your family, mm -hmm. I really think that there's there's so much more there because they're essentially part of you and they have stories that relate to you. Mm -hmm. like they'll start opening up and as soon as you learn more about them, you're going to start learning more about yourself and going on that journey. Congratulations, man. I really... I'm really glad to hear that. Absolutely. It's been a powerful journey for really connecting with that those family members. Oh yeah. That's it's really awesome. Glad to, glad to hear it like I said. So then I imagine that of course this is really fulfilling for you in so many other ways. So you've overcome this anxiety and depression or, or at least you have some tools to work with it. So now that you've had your come to Jesus moment, then what else changed for you in your life after you've discovered that like you're just down off the mountain? What did you do then? When I just got off the mountain, my one goal was to get home and I got back <laughs> and uh, I thought things was just things were just going to go back to normal. And it, I couldn't be further from the truth. I was literally shaking with anxiety for about a week. 
And then after that, I fell into a, a deeper depression than I'd really experienced up to that point. It was very brief and I was able to pull myself out of it, but it was all about questioning purpose. It was like I'd moved all the way to the East Coast to try to find it and I still had I still had no clue. And it was only by opening myself up after that and saying, you know, I, I don't know what's out there. I don't know how to work with this. And so I'm going to look for solutions rather than just expecting the world to fix me or something like that. That was when I started discovering meditation and I'd heard about it before. It's, you know, it's very popular in the news right now, but um, it was so far out of left field for me that I never considered it for myself. I had to reach that breaking point, that come to Jesus moment to really consider it as an option for me. Wow. So you're saying that you were, you had a bunch of expectations essentially on what, what your life should be essentially like, not what exactly it should look like, but where this purpose is going to come from this aha moment. You were expecting to find it on the mountain and it should look like this. It should look like a square, but essentially you found the circle and you're like, well, what is this? I don't know what to do with it. And you come back and you're like, well, I still have a circle. I'm supposed to have a square. What's going on? And then you decide, well, maybe I'm supposed to have a circle and maybe it means something else. So just go explore because you don't know. Yeah, absolutely. As I've gone on this journey time and time again, my expectations have been so different from what has actually brought me the most meaning. Like my, my path has been pretty, pretty all over the place. And I always thought that the, um, the zigs and the zags, the things that I thought were failures because I didn't figure out my purpose. They were helping me readjust that frame and really fit it to what life actually looked like. Nice. So then could you share a little bit about those uh, things that you've tried? So we know that you went to climb a mountain and you've, you've had a different experience. What are some of the things that you've tried to find purpose in and it just didn't work out? So many. Um, I moved, <laughs> so when I moved to Maine, I uh, had a fear of heights. And to get over that, I uh, signed up as a counselor on a high ropes course. Uh, I thought I would be, I thought for a long time that I would be a camp counselor for a very long time, maybe own a camp. And that wasn't quite my calling. And then I thought maybe I'll be a guide. And that wasn't quite my calling, you know, hiking in the mountains and that kind of stuff. Um, and then I thought, what if I just attempt to live the life that my family wants me to live? What if I just go to college, get a degree, whatever it is, and then own the family business one day? And that definitely wasn't my calling. And so <laughs> all those quote unquote mistakes, all those our months of and years perhaps of time wasted in quotes they really helped me to they were helping me to align where i was supposed to go they weren't time wasted they were simply a detour along the path so those yeah i like how you really made sure to put quotes around failure and and wasted time because it seems like you did learn a couple of things from it and now looking back as a person who kind of knows a little bit more about your purpose, actually a lot more about your purpose, you look back at those things and you think, well, my thought is, I yeah. don't want to project, but my thought is, yeah, those were things, those were part of your experience and your your life. And you, now you know that those aren't things you want to do ever. 
<laughs> Absolutely. Without, yeah. So <laughs> I find it really funny that, that there's an emphasis on how uh, the family, what the family wants is definitely not the thing I want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I relate to that. Yeah. I relate to that figure for sure. So with opening yourself up and finding out there are things that you did not like or weren't your calling, then what are some of those, some takeaways from that? Like if I were to look deeper in there, like fear of heights, you wanted to get over your fear of heights. So you started to do um, something that would help you get over that and being a hiking guide. So if I were to look deep into those experiences, could you pull out something that you found that was, that you carry with you today? Mm, absolutely. In every, in every so-called negative experience, there were at least a couple uh, through lines that I was able to, to, to learn from for that, for that high ropes course. I, I didn't really enjoy being, um, didn't really enjoy being a counselor at that camp, but I learned that I, I, heights were not that big of a problem for me. I actually enjoyed climbing and doing all these things once I got over that initial fear. And in hiking, you know, being that hiking, trying to be a hiking guide at that point, I learned that nature is extremely important for me. And I learned that I feel most at home when I'm out in the woods or out on the mountain. And when I was attempting to learn the family business, I quickly realized that I did not have to accept their standards of what I was, I didn't have to let them decide my life. And just because I chose to do something that was a little bit out of their norm, it didn't mean that I was going to fail. It didn't mean that I couldn't make it work. Wow. That is really, that's really deep. I mean, essentially you're saying what I've heard a while, like for a while, like you're, there's always something to find in each experience. There's, there's not really failures, like you said, or time wasted. Those are really important aspects of your life that you had that uh, they keep with your values today. They sound like they're values that you hold on to today. Yeah, absolutely. For a long time, I thought, for a long time, I thought life was always moving forward. And then I thought there were moments where I was moving backwards, like further away from where I wanted to go. And then I realized that my life is always moving forward. It's just at a different pace. Sometimes it's going very quickly towards what I want to do. In some chapters of my life, it's a little more slowly. It's, it's the growing pains. It's where I'm crawling instead of walking or running. And though you need those experiences too, because they strengthen you for the journey. Absolutely. You know, I think about that as, um, as I create this podcast, as I create my work as a coach, and I, I run into, well, I'm, I'm myself on my own business. I, I'd say like, there's no one else doing anything for me behind the scenes. So if there's something that I don't know how to do, I have to go learn how to do that mm. before I can actually execute on that. And it just seems like that's exactly what's happening with you and, and with life and what you're describing these experiences is that, yeah, you don't really know exactly what it is that you want. So you're going to try something and you're going to learn that you don't want to do that or you're going to learn that you enjoy it more or you're going to learn like with uh fear of heights that it doesn't hinder you as much as you thought so it's just having those experiences and they're they're very valuable yes for they're sure. definitely so has that led to you being in the adventure 
person that you adventure adventurist. I don't know <laughs> what the word is for that, but a person who likes to travel and do fun things. It definitely, has that led to you doing that? Yeah, it definitely has. So I found that I found, well, I'll, I'll start here. My biggest fear in life has always been being stuck, being powerless. And I found that living a more adventurous life where I was traveling more often, where I was doing amazing hikes and meeting cool other adventurous people, it was a little bit hectic at times, but it had that element of change. And for me personally, I've got this really weird dynamic between wanting to be very stable and wanting to be um, always changing and always growing in some way. I guess uh, my... One of my biggest things about change is that I want to maintain some security. I want to maintain some habits. So when I'm traveling that I've got, you know, like my morning habits or my, more, my evening habits so that I still feel grounded wherever I am. I guess my one goal out of the, out of becoming this adventurous person, traveling and hiking all this stuff is really to feel at home wherever I am. And that's, when I'm researching all you know religions and different or aspects of psychology, it really comes down to that for me personally. It comes down to being okay with where we're at and being willing to grow in a new area. Wow. So your biggest fear, you said, was being stuck, was being stuck. And so the way you essentially have agency over that is to physically move here and there and enjoy different people in different spaces so you don't feel stuck physically because you can freely move about now mentally you also feel like you have some ability not to be stuck because you you can um, take these hectic experiences and look at them and, and feel like well you know i'm having a new experience I'm not afraid of this, but I'm enjoying this. Or what can I learn? I, I I feel like that is, well, that's absolutely amazing, of course. And you also said that um, you want to be stable as well. Yeah, so, it's, it's a very interesting dynamic between those two. Uh, just to give a, a little bit of context, Lee and I were talking before this podcast about uh, I just moved to Mexico. It's my first time ever living abroad, and I am now struggling with building new routines in this new place and uh, interacting in an environment where I don't feel comfortable all the time. And so it's not always a perfect balance between those two. One sometimes the pendulum swings too much the other, one way, and sometimes it's too much the other way. It's all about maintaining it, for me at least, it's all about maintaining that mental stability, that groundedness, so that I can come back uh, if things do get too out of balance. Yeah. And I'm just going to say that what you're, what you're striving for seems very unique, not unique, but I think it is a sweet spot. I think that is where we as humans would feel more, most comfortable because we have the stability of knowing that the world is not ending for us if there's a mistake, mm -hmm. but we have this ability to also expand our minds and explore in a place that can be safe for us. It's not uh, a life-threatening situation. Essentially, you are uncomfortable and you're growing a bit, but if you mess up, 
things are still going to be okay. You have the stability to fall back on. And I think that's a sweet spot of where a lot of people want to be. I know that feels very comfortable for me to know that I can venture out a little bit, try something new. And if I fail, I'm not going to lose the place I live. You know, things like that aren't going to happen. There's no huge consequence. Absolutely. That's a really big part of it. Yeah. So that's what you definitely get with travel. So then you said you're in where now? I am in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. Yeah. So what's going on there? How is it there? It is, uh, I'm re- we're recording this in um, April. And so it is very warm, not like excessively warm, but it is extremely humid. We are literally at sea level and uh, we're oh. going to be here for a month, perhaps two to three months. And so I'm a little bit nervous about the heat and humidity, but otherwise it's it's very loud it's very busy with people all all over the place all over the the streets and the back streets wherever we go and um for me personally having grown up on a farm in wisconsin it's a lot of people in a very small space for me so it's quite an adjustment yeah i can imagine Uh, wisconsin so that's up uh so i'm in illinois right now and uh I'm pointing upward like you can all see me, like I'm pointing north. <laughs> but it's north and it's a little colder than it is here. No humid summers? We do have humid summers, yeah. But I I haven't experienced that for a while. It's been mostly for the last uh, couple summers I've been out west and so in the dry heat. And that's I think that's more my speed. So we're going to see how mm-hmm. this is going to go. I definitely concur with that. I used to live in uh, Modesto in California, and uh, is sometimes in the Central Valley, it gets really, really hot. And, you know, the locals there, when I moved there, they warned me, it's going to get really hot one summer. It's like, yeah, it was 90 degrees. And I'm like, no way, I'm not worried about that. And it, one one year, it got to 113, wow. and I, I didn't know what to do with myself. <laughs> <laughs> but But I still prefer that dry heat because... All I need to do is go in some shade and I was feeling a lot better. Yes. That humidity will follow you everywhere. Yep. In the shower, right out of the shower. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yep, for sure. It, it doesn't matter. So, um, well, that's a new experience for you. So, like I said, mm-hmm. you're just going to, I like how you're just like rolling with it. It's like, well, I'm having this experience and I'll see what happens. Absolutely. And I do want to say it's not as, some, some moments are better than others. It's some moments I'm very in control and very calm and other moments it's a little, little stressful. And so even though I've got these tools, it's like, I've still got to, I've still got to go through some of the same struggles that my clients go through. I've still got to recognize when I've got that anxiety or when I feel those panic moments and do the tools that I'm giving my, my clients so that I'm managing myself. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad that you're here to let us know that you're still a human person. Because, like, I think that uh, as as goofy as that sounds, you know, people could automatically see others who have completed the thing that they wanted to do as complete heroes who are infallible. But you still have to do some of the things that that it does to that your clients have to do to keep you grounded. Mm-hmm. So can you share some of those things that you do to keep yourself grounded? Absolutely. So in my journey, I was looking for tools that I could do quickly and I could do anywhere. And I found a handful that work really well for me. One of my favorites is I call it 7-Eleven breathing. It goes by many names, 7-Eleven, uh, I think it's 478 in some circles, but it's all about 
working on the vagus nerve and it comes from yoga and meditation and the vagus vagus yeah yeah sorry go ahead the vagus nerve is a nerve that runs from our minds down into our chest cavity and beyond and has autonomic control over our heart and our lungs among other things it's the nerve that's responsible for the fight flight or freeze response so when your brain has that response it sends that signal down the vagus nerve to your heart and lungs which automatically kick on and into, into hyperdrive essentially what you're doing with 7-Eleven breathing is you are sending a reverse signal up the pipeline instead. You're saying, my body is calm right now, so my brain can therefore be calm as well. And essentially, what you're doing with 7-Eleven breathing is you are getting rid of the excess carbon dioxide in your lungs. A really interesting thing about the human body is that we cannot register when our lungs do not have oxygen. We only register when our lungs have an excess of carbon dioxide. And so what 7-Eleven breathing does, it extends the exhale longer than the inhale. And that's the key of it. You are getting rid of all of that extra CO2, just like you would in yoga or meditation. And getting rid of that tells your body, hey, there's plenty of oxygen to breathe here. We can be calm. So in 7-Eleven breathing, It's all about extending that exhale longer than the inhale. To do it, all you have to do is breathe in for a count of seven, pause for a moment at the top, and then breathe out for a count of 11. I found it really helps to purse your lips on the exhale so that you can make it all the way to 11. And if you don't, if you, if seven and 11 aren't the perfect numbers for you, you can do this with like four and eight or four and five, whatever it works, as long as the exhale is a couple seconds longer than the inhale. Wow, that's very interesting. I had no idea. You know, I was so interested in the vagus nerve. I was like, well, what's that? Whoa, (laughs) that sounds so exciting. You know, um, so I definitely am interested in in learning how to do this. I mean, are you able to kind of guide us for a little bit on this or? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I have a yeah, I've just let you guide, and I'd like to follow along with this exercise. Absolutely. So if you're ready to begin, just first yes. and foremost, I should have mentioned, to when you do any of these techniques, rate your anxiety or stress, whatever it is, on a scale of 1 to 10. And that just gives you a benchmark to know afterwards how much has changed. So whatever you're feeling right now, go ahead and remember that. And then simply just center yourself a little bit. And then begin breathing in through your notes, just taking a deep breath in, counting one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and then breathe out through your mouth. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and eleven. And after you've done that, just notice where that anxiety or that stress has gone on that scale. If it's, if it's gone down, great. If it's at zero, perfect. I always recommend that you do um, two to three rounds of 7-Eleven breathing to make sure you're getting it down to that zero level. If you take it from like a seven down to a four, that's great. You've got some results, but you're also teaching your mind and conditioning it that it's okay to have that level four anxiety. 
And so when you take it to zero every time, you're saying, I, we don't need these anxious feelings anymore. We can just be rid of them. Ah, okay. So it, although it is good to improve a bit, it is also really good practice to feel at calm and at peace. So you're not making moves or decisions that you know are from anxiety, a place of fear. Absolutely. Exactly. So with this, I thank you so much for doing that exercise. I feel like it was really difficult to get to 11, but not too difficult. It's just something I'm not used to, right? Yeah. yeah. So um, I think I will make sure to, to do that exercise when I'm feeling a little anxious. I've always heard of maybe taking a breath or two when I have anger coming about. You know, I always hear that quite a bit. But I know how that has helped me in some situations where I can take a moment to think and feel. So in the situation with um, uh, the 7-Eleven for anxiety, how have you used this to help you in your journey? I've used it pretty much <laughs> any situation where I have anxiety. It seems that's the one I go to because I can literally do it anywhere. We're carrying our breath with us all the time. I've done this outside of conference rooms for business meetings. I've done this in the middle of stage shows or presentations. I've done this in crowded buses or on busy streets. I simply take a moment to center myself and breathe in and breathe out. And wherever I am, just doing that is usually enough to show me that I can control my anxiety, at least to some extent. And that generally allows me to bring it down to zero. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like you said, anywhere hypnosis, you can do this anywhere. I hope that you're breathing everywhere you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Take it wherever you go. So then that gives you um, some agency of control over you know, your body and your thoughts, recognizing that, again, with this kind of theme that I hear popping up is that um, you have the ability to control. You're in a situation where you may feel like you're losing control, but you can always rein it back in. So there's no consequences that aren't really out of your reach. You you know how to manage your anxiety. And look, that is the sweet spot. You're not ever going to stop anxiety from happening. You just have to recognize it and have some tools to deal with it appropriately. Yeah. And that's such a huge thing to remember. Like some of my clients, they come in and they say, can you make me never anxious again? Or can you, can you completely remove my anxiety? And I'm like, that sounds <laughs> terrible because you need a little bit of anxiety so that you don't step into the middle of the street or that you, I don't know, remember to take your garbage out on the right day or something. Anxiety is a, is a tool. It's only when it gets out of, out of control that it really becomes an issue. Yeah. So when are, what are some of those uh, things that, that show that anxiety has really gotten away from you? It's good for this, but it might not be so good for that. Yeah. I would say if anxiety is making your decisions for you, or if you are making your decisions based on anxiety and talking yourself out of things, like a little bit of anxiety might be a good thing. Like it might be a, just enough to make sure you prepare for that big meeting or that presentation or um, that date that you're about to go on. But if you are turning down opportunities because you are too anxious, that's when anxiety is too strong. It's running your life rather than you running it. 
Gotcha, gotcha. So if I decided, hey, I'm not going to climb a mountain per se, because I don't know anything about climbing mountains, I'm terrified of it, even though I have people here who may support me, who may who may say, well, this is great, this is safe, and something I always wanted to do, I just like, I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm not gonna. You can't yeah. make me. <laughs> it all comes down, okay. to, it comes down to that reflection of what's actually causing this? What's the root cause? If you are anxious and it's and it's preventing you from climbing that mountain because you actually don't have the experience and it might be dangerous, I mean, that can be good. Like you can learn how to work with that and learn how to climb that mountain safely. But if it is safe and your mind is convincing you that it is not safe under any circumstances, that's when it's out of control. Ah, gotcha. Yes, that's definitely. So then um, getting down to the reasoning behind that anxiety appearing. So we're clear about our anxiety is here and it's kind of running our life a little bit. It's making some of our decisions. And how do we get down to that, that point where we can kind of identify it? Is that, um, I imagine that um, a, a, a look deep within a journaling or a meditation is something that you'd use to help you get there. Is that, is that right? Is, have you used meditation like that? Or? Yeah. Yeah. I, for, for someone just beginning, I would recommend journaling. That's an excellent place to start, but also meditation is an, is an amazing way to really get in touch with your emotions. And meditation is simply being in a place and then coming back and bringing your focus back to that moment. And uh, there are so many resources on mindfulness and meditation that I won't dive too much too deep into it here. But for some people, taking a walk can be meditation. For some people, if you really enjoy washing the dishes, that can be meditation. It's simply a moment that you are centered, that you are here in the present moment and you are actually letting yourself be calm and see what's in your mind rather than letting your mind run the show. Instead of letting your mind run the show, huh? Like, uh, I'm sorry, but I have all these pop culture references. So (laughs) the first thing that popped in my mind was the Simpsons and how Homer was like, shut up brain or I'll stab you with a Q-tip. Like, don't let it run the show, right? (laughs) No, that, I'm sure that's not what you meant, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but essentially you do want the ability to have autonomy. Like you want to not let, um, you let your mind dictate your decisions because your mind is a very big and vast place and it can be scary and bring all the scariest things to you. Mm-hmm. Or it can also bring all the the things that are um, beautiful about the world to you as well. So you want to have like a balance there. Cause if you don't have an anxiety, then you're going to step into the street. You want that nice anxiety balance with that. Yeah, so that, that brings up a really great point about hypnosis and the unconscious mind. Your mind is always working for your benefit. It is always working with the tools it has to help you. And so at some point, Anxiety is a good thing, but at at a certain point, it crosses that threshold into something that limits you. Your brain is simply trying to help you, and it cannot always tell the difference between something that helps you and something that might be limiting you. Its single goal is to keep you alive. And so 
even if your existence isn't quite as happy or as purposeful as it could be, at the end of the day, you are still alive and your brain says, that's a check in my box. I, we're good to go. And so that's all about choosing or not, as you say, not letting your brain run the show without, without thinking and actually examining how you want that show to be run. I like that. That was great. Um, the brain only has one job. You had one job. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to do what it takes to get it done. And so we, you talked about hypnosis, which is the, 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 the thing I'm really interested in, actually. Um, so how does hypnosis and this work with uh, changing? How do you use hypnosis to help with anxiety and depression and, and things like that? Yeah, there are quite a few ways that we can do it. One of the one of my favorite ways of working with mental illnesses like anxiety and depression is to help a person change their automatic responses. So when a, when we're in our environment, there are certain stimulus stimuli that trigger certain events. We call those anchors. Like if you uh, step into the bathroom and you pick up your toothbrush, that's an anchor to start brushing your teeth. Like you just kind of do it automatically. If you step in, if you sit down in your car to drive, uh, you might turn on the key, adjust your mirror, put on your seatbelt without even consciously realizing what you've done. And you're on the road before you realize, hey, we're, we're moving. And that's kind of what your brain does with anxiety. When you've had it for so long, your brain says, here's that old stimulus. I know exactly how to do this because we've done this before. And it gives the same anxious feeling to that old stimulus, whatever it is. Maybe it's um, anytime someone raises their voice or anytime you don't have anything to keep you occupied, you feel that old response. So what we do in hypnosis, we simply swap out that old response with a new response. So the trigger in the environment is still there, but it triggers something different, perhaps deeper breathing or perhaps a moment of calm or perhaps just knowing that you are safe in that moment. Another favorite way of mine to work with anxiety and hypnosis is to work with the memories that cause that anxiety in the first place. Now, hypnosis is not therapy. We're not unboxing all the emotions and diving too deep into that. Uh, with hypnosis, you can really work content free in that way, at least to an extent. So what we're doing, we are taking that memory and we are helping to strip away the negative emotions so that the person still has that memory. They still have the learnings from that. You know, if they were bitten by a dog and that was an intense fear for them, we don't want to completely remove that lesson because there might be dogs they should avoid. Um, we simply remove that excessive fear from it. And the amazing thing about that is when you change a memory in someone's early timeline in their childhood or their adolescence, all of the coping mechanisms that the brain has built up on top of that anxiety, they naturally start to crumble. So a month or two months or three months after the hypnosis program, someone calls me up and said, this completely unrelated thing in my life has just toppled. Like it's no longer an issue. And the only thing I can link it to is that hypnosis. It's pretty cool to see what different changes we see from that. Wow. 
Yeah, because I mean, I really like this idea or the point to the balance here that you have of it, with the balance of the negative emotions and pulling away just the right amount. Because that example you gave with the dog is really a good example because I think uh, there may be a fear or a misunderstanding behind what hypnosis really does for people. It takes completely away your issue, but that's not what it is. You, you said you had a client come in and ask you to take away anxiety. I can't do that. And uh, I bet that is a, a common misconception of it. It's kind of giving you the ability to look at the situation with different eyes, mm. essentially like learning the lesson about avoiding some dogs. They can be scary. Here are some things I might look for, but all dogs aren't like that. You can be able to discern the difference between the two. So something that caught my ear was changing a memory. So what do you, can you elaborate a little more about that? Yeah. What does changing a memory mean? So your mind, or I should say our minds are changing memories every single day. Every single time we access a memory, we are literally rewriting it at the protein level. I believe it's kind of C that literally gets restructured in our brains. And when we do this in hypnosis, we're just doing it with intention. We are doing this and creating a different experience for them because the brain cannot tell the difference between a vividly imagined event and an event that actually happened in our lives. That's why we still jump when we're in scary movies, even though we know it's just pixels on, pixels on a screen. And so what we're doing in hypnosis, we are at some times creating a separate memory, a, a different memory for them that we bring in their new knowledge, the knowledge that they are safe, that they did survive through that. And we are bringing that back into that old memory and showing them that they do have those resources now. And when the brain has those two memories, it's still going to remember that there is that, that lesson from the experience, whatever it was in the first place. But there is also this new experience that we can choose to believe. And the brain, when given two options, it does want to keep you safe, but it also wants to keep you happy. And so it's going to choose the option that best, um, that best gets you to your goals in that case. All right. So the brain has the main job of keeping you safe, but also if it's, if it's possible, it's going to work to make you happy as well. Mm -hmm. So in putting you in that position where you're looking at the experience that you had and realizing that, all right, check mark safe. Don't mm -hmm. worry about that brain. It's all good. You're safe. Now let's see what else we can do with the situation, essentially how you're going to write that. I really like this idea of rewriting, rewriting memories and happens at a protein level. So that's something that's way too sciencey for me at the moment, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I imagine that it's complex and really not necessary to understand the whole concept. Just yeah. know that it's something that is scientifically proven and found. Yeah. Hypnosis has over a hundred, over a century of uh, science to back it up. It's been backed up by the, the British Medical Association and a bunch of American health organizations. And it's really experienced a renaissance right now of study and uh, growth in this current age. Mm. So 
So then there is opportunity for us to clear up some of the misconceptions. I know a couple of things that float in my head immediately is a little squirrely, the swirly circle thing where <laughs> yeah. the squirrel and you're like, you are getting sleepy yep. or, or that pocket watch where you're, you're like hypnotized, yep. following the watch, follow the pendulum. You don't do those things, do you? No. Not at so all. <laughs> those things are called inductions and it's just, a way a hypnotist brings you to a, uh, that that brainwave frequency where we're at in hypnosis. But those are very old inductions. And some people might put it on their advertising if they're a stage hypnotist or something like that, because that's what the that's what the zeitgeist is. That's how people still recognize hypnosis. But no, we we don't really say that. I've never actually heard a hypnotist say you are getting sleepy. We've got <laughs> we've come a long way since then. So then um I'll what is it that you do? Maybe, uh, I don't know if you're able to share a little bit with us. Well, yeah, I can explain it a little bit. Um, hypnosis is all about slowing down our brain waves and it's about getting us to theta frequencies. Theta is that state that's just above sleep and it's a very intense creative state and you are still conscious for it. If you've ever had a really great idea right before you fell asleep, that's because your mind was passing through that theta state on the way to actual sleep. And in that theta state, you're still aware. That's why, you know, if you say something to someone in hypnosis, they can still hear you. Um, but what we're doing in theta is we are giving the brain uh, suggestions and different tools from psychology, neuroscience, neuroplasticity to make changes in a very rapid method. What theta does is it brings the unconscious mind that part of you that stores your memories, your habits, your beliefs, it brings that to the fore, to the uh, the surface, I guess, if you will, so that we can work with it in a um, in a controlled manner. Now, hypnosis, I get the question sometimes, you know, can I can I make someone do something crazy, like rob a bank or something like that? A person will never do anything in hypnosis outside of their own moral code. That's why you never see on stage someone. Um, a stage hypnotist telling someone to give that, you know, all the volunteers give him $50 after the show. Like it, it just doesn't work. It breaks that trust with the, the subject and hypnosis is built on that trust because as we established, your brain is always working to keep you safe. If at any time your brain hears a suggestion that you don't agree with, it's either going to bring you out of trance or ignore that statement completely. Wow, selective hearing. The brain, it goes all the way down to the brain. <laughs> the brain is like, if, if yeah. I don't like this, I didn't hear it. It didn't happen. Yep, <laughs> just wipes it off. <laughs> I, I really, I think the brain has, it's really fascinating. And I've learned a couple of new things since you've, you've brought this up. It's, first of all, it's really great to know that, um, that you're not using a pocket watch or anything like that. <laughs> I mean, our science has improved so much, so I'd expect to see something different from from hypno, hypnotherapy as well. So it sounds like it is a lot more than I imagined too. We're going to a different, completely different state of mind and how you get people there is, is amazing. So at that level, you're able to start rewriting memories, right? Mm -hmm. The theta level? Yep, theta frequency. Yeah. Theta frequency. Yes. That's really, it's really awesome. So then um, it takes a, a really a huge amount of trust to, and my therapist, and my therapist has 
as as a you know not a hypnotherapist but just as a therapist i'm talking to them i'm sharing my deepest secrets with them and hoping that they'll validate me and and help me work through this problem and i feel like it's a lot more intimate on the level of hypnotherapy because now i'm now i'm receiving some suggestions and i am if i were in any doubt it wouldn't work right like how does how do you maintain that uh, connection between you and your client yeah you bring up an interesting point just like in therapy hypnosis is built on that rapport between a hypnotist and a subject and if if you don't connect with your hypnotist you might still receive you might still get some powerful changes out of the hypnosis but it's not going to be nearly as effective as if you find someone that you really connect and really jive with that's why especially nowadays that so many hypnotists are working online i highly recommend anyone curious about hypnosis to find a hypnotist they really connect with before they actually go into that first session because as you said when you are were in hypnosis uh, even though we consciously know that our brains are keeping us safe it's a very personal thing even if we're not diving too deep into any emotions we might be talking about beforehand what it is you want to work on if it's that trauma i'm going to have to get information at least a little bit to know what we are working with and so that level of trust with your hypnotist is so key to the entire process yeah definitely uh, and who i take a deep breath there because i was i was hanging on the words that you were saying about keeping that trust in in the 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 therapist or whomever you're talking to and revealing something so deep and personal to you. So in looking for a good hypnotherapist, can you tell us what we might want to look for? Absolutely. In hypnosis, unfortunately, there aren't enough hypnotists yet that we've got like a government body that regulates who can and cannot be a hypnotist. There's simply, you know, there's not enough bureaucracy dollars to go around. So a lot of private organizations have attempted to regulate that themselves and some are very very good very high quality but others you just have to pay like a $50 fee for the year and it's like take that with a grain of salt a, P- a hypnotist mm-hmm. might have a lot of wall candy but it might not be quite as distinguished as it might seem what i highly recommend someone do when they're looking for the hypnotist one look at their website do they have credentials from uh, various different hypnosis organizations. Do they have videos of themselves on their website? Two, do they have videos and podcasts and other resources about themselves on uh, places other than their website? And three, do you actually get that gut sense that they know what they're talking about? Because there are <laughs> a lot of hypnotists out there who just, they mean well, but they they're just they just don't have it all together, I guess. Uh, your gut it knows i mean your brain is like if it if it trusts the hypnotist that's a great that's a great indicator for uh, at least connecting with them most hypnotists will uh, have a 15 minute free session for you to talk about goals and that kind of stuff but uh, if you get that signal very early on that this person might not know what they're talking about go find someone else because there are so many hypnotists out there who are based in science who have that that background and that experience to really help you with that problem that you're working on. Right on, right on. So 
basically trusting your brain for the most part is really trying to keep you safe. And if it gives you this feeling, and I would say like, if you, if you are um, going to see a hypnotherapist for the first time, this is my thought based on what Doug has presented here today. If you get anxiety about it, try the, try the, the tool that he gave us, the 7-Eleven, and see how that feels. And then if you revisit that and you still get the same anxiety, the same person, then you might want to <laughs> think about it yep. Yep. <laughs> or go somewhere else, try someone else to see if you get that same kind of anxiety with them just to see what would happen because maybe it is your brain really feels like there could be something about this person that doesn't feel like they're going to be able to help you or, or meet your needs. But the next person you might meet will. So don't just write it off. Absolutely. Write it off. So with that, I really want to thank you for coming on and sharing your experiences with us. Before we go, I have a couple more questions for you. Then since I just um, I noticed this pattern of you wanting to be in the place where you were in the sweet spot, essentially, where you have new experiences and you learn and grow, but you're in a situation where you're not going to lose everything. It's not super dire. So with that, what was one of those um, a lessons, like one big lesson that you may have learned from your experiences that you've had that kind of falls, that fell in that, in that space? I learned that I am much more capable of being comfortable with discomfort than I thought. From hiking, I learned that I can, I can shoulder a pack and carry it up a mountain for many miles. I, from standing on a very high platform at, a, at the Hirups course, I learned that I can deal with the butterflies that still are there even after the main fear is gone. Um, and from working with you know, the family business, that, that third example, I learned that I do have that work ethic to make it work. And so those, those through lines, those are the, the valuable nuggets of wisdom that show you, you do actually have what it takes to get where you want to go. Yeah. Uh, I would say that you had a healthy amount of anxiety in all those situations where you just kind of overcame them and figured out you knew exactly, well, you don't know exactly, but you've discovered something really new and interesting about yourself. Mm. So with that said, I'm curious, um, is there, can you share with us um, where people can find you? And wait, 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 I'm sorry. I forgot. Yeah. I forgot because I wanted to ask you about your more hypnosis. I mean, if I could, I'd be like, well, maybe you can give us a hypnosis uh, a session for another half an hour, but we don't have time for that. So <laughs> where can someone uh, find you? Do you have any hypnosis uh, uh, trials or anything available for us? I do. I've got some on my Instagram and I'm putting some up on my YouTube. Those are very informal hypnosis sessions. Uh, for someone who's looking for a really formalized session that that's a little bit more in depth, I've got one on my website that I call the hypnotic test drive, and I can send you a link to that as well. Um, it's just a, it's about 45 minutes and it is a really deep dive into hypnosis and it builds in some powerful suggestions around three areas that my clients most often struggle with, uh, confidence and self-esteem dealing with tough emotions and building motivation to achieve their goals, whatever that may be. Wow. And you said that this was at your website? 
Absolutely. It's called the hypnotic test drive. The actual link is anywherehypnosis.com slash test drive. One word. All right. Uh, definitely going to make sure to check that out. Um, if you have thought about um, seeing a, a therapist or a hypnotherapist and you want to check out a person who has their content out there for you, that's a great way to kind of get a feel for what Doug has, what kind of services he has, how he can can work with you because you can test his material and see if it's a good fit, if it feels good. So I highly recommend that you do that. Again, it was anywherethepist.com. Anywherehypnosis.com slash test drive. Anywhere hypnosis. Ah, <laughs> I'm gonna let you say. Sorry. I'm sorry, I'm in a goofy mood. So yes, one more time, please. Anywherehypnosis.com slash test drive. Test drive slash test drive. So is there anywhere else that they can find you? Absolutely. Uh, my main website, Anywhere Hypnosis, as I mentioned. Uh, my most active platform is probably Instagram. My handle is at Making Your Meaning because I actually run the Making Meaning podcast, which you were a guest of as well. And that's about finding purpose and really creating the meaning of our lives. Uh, they can find me on YouTube. I've got a couple of different explainer videos and some free hypnosis there as well. And just by searching Anywhere Hypnosis. All right. You know, I definitely enjoyed being a guest on your podcast. I almost forgot that that's how we met. We had a conversation about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was really wonderful to talk to you. You all go find um, more about hypnosis, um, hypnosis therapy by checking out anywherehypnosis.com and try that slash test drive so that you can understand exactly what therapy might be able to do for you or hypnotherapy rather would be able to do for you. Doug, I want to thank you so much for coming on and sharing your expertise, enlightening me and sharing your information with everyone. Absolutely. Thank you again for having me. All right. Take care. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. I had a lot of fun talking to Doug. I had a lot of fun chatting with my guests, learning something new about them, about their experiences and their expertise. It's just fabulous. My name is Lee Hopkins, my pronouns are he, him, his, and you have been listening to the Patterns of Possibility podcast. I hope that you found today's episode interesting, insightful, and helpful in some way. If you did, or if you didn't, please feel free to reach out to me. I'm on Instagram, YouTube, and LinkedIn. You can also find me at PatternsOfPossibility.com and on all those social medias at Patterns of Possibility. Until next time. Take care.